Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week, we are watching 1990s Ghost. After a young man is murdered, his spirit stays behind to warn his lover of impending danger with the help of a reluctant psychic. So this was the highest grossing film of 1990. It had a budget of $22 million and it grossed $217 million. I'm not shocked. How have you never seen this? Uh, my best answer to this is, oh. I, I mean, yeah, I play this <laughs> on TV all the time. I mean, I've, everybody's seen the very iconic pottery scene. I guess I didn't care. It's just travesty. I didn't care about romantic dramedies forever, so it, it wouldn't have been something I would have sought out for any specific reason. All right, so how do you feel about it? I mean, it's a movie. Mm-hmm. It's a better than average dramedy. Okay. I don't know if it belongs in an Oscar discussion in any fa- form or fashion. Ooh, interesting. Well, that's a whole nother section of this movie. But we are watching this because Whoopi Goldberg won an Oscar for this film. She did. She won an Oscar for this film. And it won another Oscar too, but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, since you don't have any uh, more interesting things to say about the movie as a whole, let's talk about the writing. We have writer Bruce Joel Rubin. Before this, he did a short movie called Jennifer. They did additional dialogue for Come Together, and then he wrote Deadly Friend. And after, he did Jacob's Ladder, Deceived, My Life, Deep Impact, Stuart Little, The Last Mimsy, and The Time Traveler's Wife. That's an odd collection of films. It is. There's some other weird stuff in there, but those were the ones I was like, oh, that has some recognition. Well, especially like going back to back with Jacob's Ladder this year, mm-hmm. which is like super fucking dark. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen, but I've seen enough about it to want to see it. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was a much darker drama mm-hmm. that got touched by our director, who I know we're going to talk about in yes. a bit. And turned into far more of a comedy. True. Our director set out to make a movie that would make you laugh, cry, and get scared. What an eye roll. It is an eye roll. But the, okay, so the writing is a li- there's some bits that are schmaltzy, but the overall idea and concept of the film is very good. It is. I- Bruce Rubin used to say ditto to his high school girlfriend instead of saying, I love you. Barf. Eh, it's cute in the movie. And it's Patrick Swayze doing it, so you don't (laughs) care. And then of all the characters that Bruce Joel Rubin has written, Otome Brown remains his favorite. Otome is well written. Mm -hmm. Not hacky or over over rotten anyway. Mm -hmm. I I will give that credit for the writing in this film. None of it feels over the top. It does make you want to, you know, vomit of cuteness every once in a while. But I feel like that's the production of the film more than the script itself. I think that there is a part of this that because we've had so many ghost films after this that we have seen, like The Sixth Sense and just supernatural shows where ghosts talking to people is just a thing. This film feels a little dated to us. No, because this has always been... A thing that's happened. I mean, mm-hmm. Heaven Can Wait came out several times before this. That mm-hmm. we've had these stories through the beginning of cinema. So I don't, I don't think it's that. I think it's just that it feels like it's still from 1990. All right, let's move on to our director, Jerry Zucker. Before this, he directed Airplane, Top Secret, and Ruthless People. Afterwards, he went on to 
do more like television. He was also the writer for Airplane, Top Secret, Police Squad TV, Naked Gun, Naked Gun Two and a Half, and Twenty Two and a Third. He directed First Night and Rat Race. So, like, comedy is his world. He and his brother, the Zucker brothers, mm-hmm. who are notorious and legendary mm-hmm. for Airplane, which really did change comedy because it wasn't just slapstick. It was taking incredibly serious character actors like Leslie Nielsen and Lloyd Bridges and having them commit to comedy in exactly the same way that they would commit to serious roles, which is what they had always done. Yes. So, you know, watching Airplane now, you just think of Leslie Nielsen as a goofball. Yes. But in 1979, people would have been in hysterics because this dude had only ever been a very serious actor. Well, that is everyone's response to Andre Brower in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Exactly. Um, and to watch that show, he's doing the same thing he's always done. He's just doing it in a completely different context. Exactly. And that's what makes it beyond hilarious. And the Zucker brothers invented that. No, I, I, I'm all for it. So that's looming over this movie mm-hmm. of this very unique brand of comedy that's been incredibly influential. Mm-hmm. What's weird is trying to apply that sensibility to this pretty serious dramedy that of course has funny elements, but is a yeah. really dark movie. True. Um, I think they probably were trying to accomplish too much. I think they saw a really interesting script mm-hmm. and brought in Jerry Zucker thinking, how can we make this super palatable for mm-hmm. audiences? And they pulled it off. True. They made $200 million off of it. Well, I think that helps with the cast. That doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. This is Jerry Zucker's first film where he is the, he's solo credited as the director. This is also his favorite film of his own. And I, can, he, I can see that. And he says his greatest thrill was the day that Mad Magazine spoofed Ghost. (laughs) Which, that sounds on brand for Jerry Zucker. That tracks for those two. Like, I think his direction is good, with the exception of, like, the action stuff. The action is okay. It's it's very stunted. Really, what gets me every time is, for whatever reason, he decides he wants to close up on Patrick Swayze's face during reaction shots. And Patrick Swayze is a gorgeous man. Close-ups don't work for him. He doesn't act with his face very well. He needs his whole body. Mm -hmm. And like every time they close up on him, his reactions are just the goofiest fucking thing. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. You wonder if he's treating this as slapstick and Buster Keaton-ish when it needs to be grittier and darker. I think it, it needs to be a little bit grittier and darker, but he probably didn't know how to accomplish that. It's just uneven. True. All right, we'll move on to our cast. We're going to start with Patrick Swayze as Sam Wheat. Before this, you'll know him from The Outsiders, Red Dawn, Dirty Dancing, and Roadhouse. After this, he went on to do Point Break, Tall Tale, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmore, Three Wishes, Donnie Darko, Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights, and then he was on The Beast TV series. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2009 of pancreatic cancer. I've never seen a Patrick Swayze movie front to back. We have so much work to do. <laughs> so so much work to do. Hey, I've got one down now. True. This and Donnie Darko. Screenwriter Bruce Joel Rubin wanted Patrick Swayze to play Sam Wheat after he saw an interview Swayze gave. He brought up his father 
And Swayze burst into tears. And Ruben thought if a macho guy like Patrick Swayze could cry over a loved one, he'd be perfect for this movie. Okay, that's dumb on Bruce Rubin's part. A little bit. But, you know, this was early 90s after the 80s. We did not go in for like the macho dude who's sensitive very often. Except for Swayze. Exactly. Swayze had always been that guy. Patrick Swayze said that Sam Wheat was the hardest role he ever had to play in his career because he had to be an observer of action and not a participant. That plays into my weirdness of him his, not knowing how to react. He doesn't alone. know because he's used to using his body, but his character can't do that. Well, and that's Swayze's forte is, I mean, he was a very long trained dancer. Mm-hmm. And so he he's obviously graceful moving on screen. Sure. But the problem is, is when most of your most of your acting has to be done with your face. Mm hmm. How are you going to pull that off? You got you got to have work with your face. Uh, Patrick Swayze said that the pottery scene was the sexiest thing he's ever done on film. And that's after Dirty Dancing. <laughs> and like, okay, so we're watching the scene. And Tim's like, is this sexy? Is this hot? Or is it weird? And I'm watching this and I'm just like, no, that's hot. <laughs> like, it- Patrick Swayze is not my type at all. But I mean, it's hot. All right, let's do some who could have been better. Oh, wow. Okay. Kevin Bacon. Okay. Alec Baldwin. No. Nicholas Cage. I, I will I will leave my blanket statement for Nicolas Cage on every movie. He would have been fascinating. I don't know if he'd be good, but it would have been fascinating. Kevin Costner. Nah. Tom Cruise. No. Johnny Depp. I, I will not speak of Johnny Depp. David Duchovny. Okay. Yeah. Harrison Ford. Oh, too old. Mel Gibson. Blech. Tom Hanks. No. Paul Hogan, who instead made Almost an Angel. Oh, gross. Kevin Klein. Yeah, Kevin Klein would have been incredible. Dennis Quaid. Eh. Mickey Rourke. <laughs> oh, this was before Mickey Rourke went like full yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he made terrible, terrible film decisions. Through and the life 80s. decisions. John Travolta. Nah, not right now. And Bruce Willis, who was Demi Moore's husband at the time, but didn't think that that would work. Oh, how did I know Bruce Willis's name was going to come up here? Okay, well, they were all offered a part, but all turned it down, thinking that playing a ghost would be cheesy. And so when Zucker finally decided to let Swayze audition, he thought he would blow it, but he said he did amazing and then cast him immediately. How did y'all not believe in this dude? I, he, He'd proven himself through the 80s. He he was definitely a proven leading man. So they knew people would come to the box office. But, you know, again, like we don't love his performance in this, but he is really hot. And well, he's, he's adorable with Whoopi Goldberg. I will say it's not that I don't adore his performance. I actually really like his performance. My problem is that they did not play to his strengths True. in writing the character well it wasn't written for him right next we have Demi Moore as Molly Jensen before this she was on General Hospital for a while she was in St. Elmo's Fire about last night one crazy summer moonlining the tv show were no angels after this she went on to do nothing but trouble a few good men a decent proposal disclosure the scarlet letter now and then the juror hunchback of Notre Dame striptease G.I. Jane Charlie's Angel full throttle some and then like she's done a bunch of smaller films and she's been on Empire, the television show, and she's going to be in the movie Corporate Animals later this year. She's really good. I think my only critique of her is that we didn't like her bowl cut haircut. 
Oh, God, it was so bad. Like, when it was slicked back, it was like, yeah, it's 90s to me more. Oh, when she walked down the street after the show and mm-hmm. had the flip up, yeah, which was I was great. like, mm, that is a mood. But that bowl haircut down was just the pits. The role of Molly Jensen was given to Demi Moore largely in part because she could cry out of either eye on cue. <laughs> Fucking movies, man. Um, <laughs> um, actually, and because we're talking about her hair, when she was cast, she had her long hair, uh-huh. but she didn't tell Jerry Zucker that she was going to cut it. And when he saw it, he was not happy at first, but now he thinks it was perfect for her character. It kind of makes sense. I just think it's like... It's just not the right look for her face. No. And she's a gorgeous woman. It's, you know, we all have a bad haircut period of time and this was hers. But it, like the short, I don't want to say edgy because it's certainly not edgy by today's standards. Haircut for the artist makes total sense. Yes, absolutely. She plays so well against everybody. She's the grounding of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because this movie could easily fly into slapstick Mm -hmm. world. But she's the emotional center because of how affected she is by Sam's death. Yeah. And one of the things that Demi Moore didn't really like about the script was that how quickly and for most of the film, she's just in mourning. And so her whole thing was that, okay, she can be sad, but she is strong. Like, she's not a weak lady. Yes. And she does play that very well. That is a hallmark of Demi Moore's career. Mm -hmm. She does not play wimpy women. This film turned her into the highest paid actress in Hollywood at the time. Prior to this film, she was well-known, but she was not a bankable star. Yeah, that makes sense, mm-hmm. because the 80s were, she was always the female sidekick in the guy sex she, comedy. She was one of the pretty ones. Yeah. So who could have been better? Kim Basinger. Mm. Gina Davis. Yeah. Helen Hunt. No. Not for this. Nicole Kidman. Probably. Nah. Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Andy McDowell. No. Madonna. Uh, it's so hard with Madonna. It is hard with Madonna. Like, She's... I think she is possibly a good actress, but it really has to be the right thing for mm-hmm. her. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, she could have done this. Molly Ringwald. I don't know. Meg Ryan. Yeah. Yes, she could have done it. Mary Steenburgen. Yeah, actually. Mary I'd go with that. Just, as, she, as she does more, as she gets older, she gets better. She's just gotten better. Kathleen Turner. No. And Deborah Winger. No. Gina Davis would be my other outside pick. Gina Davis would be my favorite. I love Gina Davis. She's so good. She's gorgeous. But she was busy doing Thelma and Louise, so. Mm. Whoopi Goldberg as Odame Brown. Before this, her breakout first Oscar nomination came from The Color Purple. Uh, she did Jumping Jack Flash and Clara's Heart. After this, she went on to do A Long Walk Home, which is a very underrated film, but breaks my heart and is beautiful. Please go see it. Soap Dish, House Party 2, Sister Act 1 and 2, Made in America. She was on Star Trek as Gwynan, Little Rascals, The Lion King, Boys on the Side, Hostel Got Her Groove Back, Girl Interrupted, tons and tons of cameos. She was in Medea Goes to Jail. She was on Toy Story 3 as Stretch. For Color Girls, she had an arc on Glee. Of course, she's one of the hosts of The View. She's hosted the Oscars Oscar, several times. She was times. the first fe- solo female to host Oscars. She's an EGOT. She, she had her is ton- an EGOT. She She's had a Tony before she ever got nominated for an Oscar. That's true. She, and her Grammy. Yeah, she is the shit. Yep. Yeah, she's amazing. Ruben, the writer, originally pitched Odame as a real psychic, but the producers thought it would be funnier if she was a charlatan who starts hearing ghosts. 
I agree with the decision on that. The, yes. This is one of those instances where the producers had a better mm-hmm. eye for it. And while some of the slapstick elements of the story don't work great, mm-hmm. her comic relief mm-hmm. is integral to keep the story moving. All right, well, I love her in this. She, she is really good. She's she's so fun. And, and I love I love her and Patrick Swayze together. She's also very Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Again, without being a bad stereotype. Correct. Correct. That is the credit to the writing of this movie mm-hmm. and maybe even more so the acting. Nobody plays the overhacky premise of what they could be. Mm-hmm. And despite some of the stuff that Jerry Zucker throws in those scenes. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this movie would fail and be a total farce. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason why it got Oscar nominations. Well, the role of Otome was not written with Whoopi Goldberg in mind, but Patrick Swayze, who was an admirer of her, convinced the producers that she would be right for the part. Good job, Swayze. And they they remained very good friends through his death. Of course. Okay, so we've got some Who Could Have Been Better. For a while there, Whoopi Goldberg wasn't going to be able to do it with her schedule. So they had Jackie Harry in to sub for her. And then we also have Patti LaBelle, Oprah Winfrey, Tina Turner. Now, Tina could have been interesting because Tina was coming off Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, Whoopi's the only person who can embody that role for me. I would have loved to see the auditions for Patti LaBelle and Oprah Winfrey because Patti LaBelle would have been so sweet and i just see oprah winfrey as being her talk show persona and just being like what is this like what what are you doing here and not like the outrageous comedic effect it would have been much flatter no shade to oprah but like this is whoopee next we have tony goldwyn as carl brunner before this he did a ton of tv that was his big thing and then after this he actually was treated pretty poorly by people they were mad at him for being the villain he did a lot of small movies and then he got the pelican brief he was in the live action pocahontas truman reckless nixon kiss the girls when he did tart the voice of tarzan the disney film that's when people actually started to be like oh no he's a nice guy he was in bounce the last samurai the l word divergent the belco experiment he was on scandal from seasons one through six as fitz the president And then he will be in Chambers on television later this year. He's so sweaty in this movie. What? Like, all I needed was one scene of him actually doing cocaine Mm -hmm. so that I could believe that he was as nervous and weird as he was. Because I don't buy this sudden flop transition Mm -hmm. to maniacal sociopath. We should have gotten more hints that he was evil before Sam dies. Now, you do get that he's doing something shady with the numbers, because when Sam starts being like, I got to figure this out, he's like, no, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. You're never going to figure this out, but I'll help. Like, you you definitely get that right away. It's just such an immediate heel turn. And I was like, all you literally had to do was show them, like, going out and him doing a bump. Yeah, probably. And that's it. And I know that might have gotten you an R rating. Maybe that's the reason why they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But, like... That was all you had to do was show that he was nervous and twitchy from the beginning because there is no reason that he should be that nervous and twitchy by the end of this movie. True. It does not make sense. (laughs) Jerry Zucker and Bruce Joel Rubin thought that Tony Goldwyn was too nice to play the villain. Goldwyn had to convince him that Carl needed to be both nice and evil to be believable. 
which is true. Oh, 1990. Every decision these guys are making is just like the stupidest, dumbest stereotyping to which the actors look and go, actually, what if it were more nuanced than that? Yeah. <laughs> Shows what happens when you got two older white guys trying to make a movie with people that realize, oh, maybe there's more to this story than you think. Maybe. The name Carl Brunner is after a grade school teacher that Bruce Joel Grubin did not like. I'm eye-rolling at all of this crap that he wrote in this script. Yeah. Okay. So now we just kind of have some Arpons. We've got Phil Leeds as one of the emergency room ghosts. Stephen Roots, the police sergeant. Arsenio Hall as himself. Vincent Schiavelli as the subway ghost who teaches Sam how to touch objects and interact with them. But we also have Rick Alves as Willie Lopez, the guy who actually kills Sam. Before this, he was in Cannonball Run, The Secret of My Success and Identity Crisis. And after this, he did Godfather Part 3, Green Card, Carlito's Way, The Stand, Waterworld, and Joe's Apartment. Louise Guzman was considered for the role of Willie Lopez. He looks so much like Rick Alves that he gets stopped by it all the time. Like people would ask him, why would why did you kill Patrick Swayze? And he's like, no, that was Rick Alves who killed him, not me. Louis Guzman would have been better. He would have. All right, let's get into our trivia. The horrific sounds made by the dark shadows are really the sounds of babies' cries played extremely slow speeds backwards. That was the stupidest effect in the I whole movie. I hated that. Ruben did not like the idea of the dark spirits having faces and hands. They thought they should be more like shadows come to life, not ghouls with human features. Yeah, it's gross. I don't think you even needed it. I mean, I think it's a hokey effect mm -hmm. trying to appease people with this normal vision of heaven and hell instead of just being like is that necessary like should the bat can the bad guys just be freaked out that they're dead now mm -hmm. and leave them with that i think it's way more interesting if the they're tortured by the fact that they're dead yeah and, and people's reactions are there but then i guess you don't get the release of the ghost yeah so the pot wasn't supposed to fall apart in the ceramic scene, but Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore just kept going. They just went with it. Yeah. That works great. I'm all cool with that. Patrick Swayze and Vincent Schiavelli, who played the subway ghost, they both died of cancer at the age of 57. It's a weird coincidence. Weird. When they were filming the chase scene in the subway, it was really cold and everyone else was bundled up except for Patrick Swayze. And since he's a ghost, they didn't want his breath showing, so they had him chew ice, which just <laughs> makes it worse. Okay. When passing through solid objects, ghosts appear to absorb some of the material they're going through. And Jerry Zucker had difficulty explaining what he wanted this to look like. And finally, he was able to do that by dipping a napkin into coffee. Like, this is what it is. There you go. The shirt that Molly is wearing in the police station is the same shirt Sam is wearing to work the day he's late to the meeting with the Japanese clients. It even appears to be wrinkled as if she hasn't watched it. Actually, she's wearing a lot of his shirts throughout the movie. Interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. For several years, Patrick Swayze had women coming up to him and asking him to recite the ditto line from the movie. <laughs> Patrick Swayze says, I needed to do Ghost for my soul. I had just come off of Roadhouse and Next of Kin, and I didn't want to be considered just an action actor. That makes sense for a guy who went to Juilliard. Ruben started crying when he wrote Molly's ditto, which is like so cheesy, but it's like, duh, you kind of knew that was coming. <laughs> When the movie was first released on VHS in 1991, the tapes were a light ghost gray. I remember that. I remember them. They weren't jet black. 
that I remember when that became a thing. Like, ooh, this one's gonna be blue, or we're gonna make this one bright orange. The Muppets ones are green. Exactly. It was the most rented video cassette of 1991. Uh, Yeah. And the success of this film, along with Pretty Woman in 1990, are credited with making romantic films more viable at the box office. Yeah. It's the date movie. That's the movie that people are going to take the ladies to. And this is the movie that ladies are going to go to with their friends. It's the resurgence of the date night film. All right. It's time for us to talk about Oscars. Oh, boy. All right. So for uh, first, I'm going to give you what it was nominated for. Okay. Okay. Actress in a supporting role, original screenplay, best picture, film editing, and original score. This is one of the few supernatural themed films to be nominated for a best picture. And this is the only best picture nominee this year to also be nominated for original screenplay. Interesting. Uh, okay. So Whoopi Goldberg won her supporting actress. She became the first actress to win the best supporting actress award and the BAFT award and the Golden Globe for her role in the film. She is the second African-American woman to win an Oscar. The first was Hattie McDaniel. Yep. Uh, she was up against Mary McDonald for Dances with Wolves, Lorraine Bracco for Goodfellas, Annette Bedding for The Grifters, and Diane Ladd for Wild at Heart. I've never seen Wild at Heart. Yeah, I haven't. I've seen Dances with Wolves and Goodfellas, which we've covered on this show. Lorraine Bracco gives a damn that, fine performance. That was a good nomination. And if anybody's going to be in the running against Whoopi on that list, mm-hmm. it's probably her. From what we know, yeah. I think in context, it makes sense. Original screenplay, Alice, Avalon, Ghost, Green Card, and Metropolitan were nominated. Ghost wins. So I've seen Avalon, Mm -hmm. and it is good, but it is also a very long saga story. Huh. I haven't seen any of these. Except Ghost. Yeah. There's something to be said about a blockbuster style script Mm -hmm. that also has a lot going on in it that feels tight, that never feels like it's going completely off the rails. And what diminishes in the movie isn't the fault of the script or the writing itself. The writing is super solid. Mm -hmm. And so I can give that some credit, Mm -hmm. especially for a very original out there concept Mm -hmm. like this to make that much money. Yeah. I get why the Academy would. And also it's just one of those like feel good movies. And sometimes that's just what wins. We talked about that with Rocky. Absolutely. Like, this is a bummer of a world. We need the movie that makes us feel good. Every once in a while. So for Best Picture, it was nominated with Awakenings, Dances with Wolves, Goodfellas, and The Godfather Part 3. Dances with Wolves won. Goodfellas, I feel like, is actually a better movie than this. I agree. Like Even with my critiques of Goodfellas, it's a better movie than this. Yeah. Godfather Part 3 is garbage. Don't at me. And Dances with Wolves is just... Kevin Costner's on a horse again. It's such a hot, weird, long it's, mess of it's a, a movie. It's a weird movie. For film editing, Dances with Wolf, Ghost, Goodfellas, Godfather Part 3, and The Hunt for Red October, Dances wins. Goodfellas should have won editing here. I think so. I could agree I know with you that. didn't like the editing. No, no, I can agree with that. Well, I haven't seen Hunt for Red October or Godfather Part 3, but I know Godfather Part 3 is garbage. I'm comfortable with that. From what I have heard, mm-hmm. it is a fine movie. Mm-hmm. That has to live in the shadow of two amazing, groundbreaking pieces of cinema. (laughs) And last but certainly not least, the original score category, Avalon, Dances with Wolves, Ghost, Havana, and Home Alone, and Dances Wins. This is a very good score, though. It is a good score. 
it's very romantic and ethereal. Mm-hmm. And Maurice Jarret does this wonderful, almost classical style mm-hmm. score for it, which works really well. I actually really liked it. Yep. I, I like Home Alone's better, but Home Alone is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. So that's it for our Oscars. So I guess it's time to rate this film. How many lucky pennies are we going to give it? I'm going to go with three. It's a solid movie. It's got good performances. It's worth a watch. I'd go same. I thought about three and a half for a minute, but three three makes the most sense. Three feels comfortable. Three luck pennies. This feels like a really weak movie here, though. 1990 itself seems like a year that was just not that I mean, Home Alone came out that year. I'm happy, so we're good. <laughs> but we had, you know, and good fellas. Good fellas, which is great in about the same way this movie is, but they're polar opposites. True. Goodfellas is a completely different kind of story. No, this is this is one of those stereotypical films where you're like, well, we got Goodfellas for the dudes at the movie theater and we've got Ghosts for the Ladies at the movie theater. Like that's how the programming looks. I think um, what, what both films are valid and you should see whatever you want to see, regardless of your gender. I just need to say that. I know. I think what holds you back is you you feel like the studios are playing so heavily into stereotypes mm-hmm. oh, sure. with all of Absolutely. these kinds of movies. And you just go, you could tell this story way better mm-hmm. with a lot more interesting ideas. And I think one thing about this is not only is it good and not only is it rewatchable, like you could watch this over and over again as a popcorn Which movie. Many people have. But also, it's rife for a really good updated remake. Oh, sure. sure. Somebody could take this story and really beef it up with a lot more nuance and mm-hmm. conceptualization behind it. And I think yeah. it could be really amazing if you did it right. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know who I would trust with that. Maybe Netflix. So next week, we're going to do a movie that neither of us have seen. Ooh. But it's a classic film. And one that we know we definitely should have seen by now, we're going to see Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mr. Sidney Poitier. Mr. Sidney Poitier, Catherine Hepburn, the only actor, male or female, to have four, four Academy Awards for performance. Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy, her longtime beau. Mm-hmm. This was his last film. And maybe one of the first super serious dramas to deal with interracial relationships. Yeah, we definitely need a palate cleanser after like forcing ourselves to see Green Book. Like we're just we're not happy with life. I don't I don't know how great we're gonna get with this movie. I know, but but we're trying to do something. (laughs) But I think it's gonna be interesting because one of the great things about this movie is while there's so much white privilege going on. Well yeah. There is a very strong performance from Sidney Poitier trying to counterbalance that to get at something at the root. And my hope is that from what the critics say of this movie, it really does a good job of going deep and analyzing all of that Mm -hmm. in terms of what we knew in 1967. It's going to be real interesting to ride that roller coaster. Truth. Truth. All right. So until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.